The Bible says, This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning the faith, have made shipwreck, of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. And I think one of the things that caught my attention, there's several things in this text, just these three short verses that uh, are worthy of our examination this morning. But I think one word that really caught my attention, and maybe it did yours as well, is the last word in verse number 19 where it says that some have made shipwreck. Shipwreck. It's a pretty vivid word, isn't it? Pretty, pretty, uh, pretty uh, uh, it's not an extreme word, but just a, a sorrowful word, a sobering word, shipwreck. I've not been on many ships. I've been on a few small boats. We got some just come off a cruise ship here, and uh, God bless you, amen. I don't know if I ever want to do that, but if I'm ever on a ship, I don't want it to wreck. Somebody say amen right there. And uh, you want it to stay afloat. And God compares our, and the Word of God compares our lives to a vessel, to a, to a ship. And uh, my heart's desire, just like Miss Maddie was singing about just a moment ago, is to stay afloat for the Lord. I want to keep sailing for Jesus. I don't want to be a casualty. I don't want to be shipwreck. And so I want to preach on that thought for just a few moments this morning on how to avoid shipwreck. How to avoid shipwreck. Let's pray together and ask God to touch us from His Word this morning. Father, we love You. We're thankful for the privilege we have, Lord, to be in the house of God today. And Lord, we're thankful, Lord, for the Word of God. We don't have to try to uh, wonder. We don't have to try to uh, just grope our way through the darkness trying to figure this thing out. Lord, you have given us instructions. You have given us a light uh, on our path, a lamp to our feet. Uh, Lord, to guide us, you've given us a lighthouse to guide us away from the rocks that would, uh, that would destroy our vessel. And Lord, we're thankful for the guidance of the Word of God. Help us to hear it. Help us to heed it. Help us to take it to heart. And Lord, help us to live it, I pray. And God, touch me as your preacher this morning. Lord, use me to deliver the Word of God. May I be faithful to the Bible today. Lord, I pray that you would do that and help us in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Now, as I've already said, that word shipwreck, it, uh, it's a pretty self-defining word. It's self-descriptive. You don't have to look that word up and figure out what it means. But I did anyway. Uh, and here's what it means. It means uh, for a ship to wreck is what it means. Uh, and so I'm pretty sure I could have handled that all on my own. A wrecked ship, a ship that has wrecked. It's on the rocks. It's taken in waters. It is no longer operable. It's not able to sail. And this is a self-explanatory word, and it paints a picture in all of our minds. We've all seen images of a shipwreck, and we've all heard of shipwrecks probably the most Notable of all shipwrecks would be uh, the what the Titanic, right? When we think of shipwreck, I don't know what first one that come to your mind was, but it was the Titanic. I don't even know if I could name another one, just to be honest of it. I know there are a lot of shipwrecks, but we all think about that. April 14th, 1912, over a 
hundred years ago, 1,500 people were lost at sea. Lives lost, souls were lost, and uh, people died because of a shipwreck. And nobody boarded that vessel that day uh, that it was time to, to get on board. Nobody got on that ship one day thinking, you know what, this thing's going to sink. Uh, in fact, if I'm ever getting on a boat, like I said before, I try not, I don't want to think about that. You don't want to think about sinking at all. In fact, thinking about sinking, uh, man, that'd be a good title, wouldn't it? Thinking about sinking. I should have, I should have, uh, should have used that instead. I like that. But thinking about that, it makes me not want to get on a boat. I, and I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for the land. Amen. I'm thankful for the Thankful for, uh, for, of course, I, I'm pretty clumsy on, on the ground as it is. Amen. It's not too, not too good on the water. But uh, nobody got on board the Titanic thinking, you know what, this thing's going to sink. In fact, they thought the opposite of that, right? They said this is the ship that even God himself could not sink. It would always sail. Nobody plans a shipwreck. It's not on the calendar. It's not on the agenda. It's not on the schedule. In fact, uh, nobody, nobody thinks about those things. You make preparations for it possibly, but you don't think that you're going to sink. But at the same time, if, if you don't follow certain protocols and you don't do what it takes to stay afloat, then you've already doomed your ship. You've doomed your vessel to destruction. And I'm going to tell you something. There are things that you have to do to make sure that you stay afloat. And that's exactly the, 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 the tenor of this text here. That is, the, that is the emotion that we sense here as we read this verse. These are words of warning. Paul is trying to keep Timothy afloat. Paul is telling Timothy, I don't want you to wreck your vessel. I don't want you to be another casualty. I don't want you to go shipwreck. And then as a way of warning and making this very abundant, uh, abundantly clear, he gives a real life example, something that was very close to this church, probably leaders that were in this church, Hymenaeus and Alexander, and he uses them as an example. These men had a shipwreck. These men began teaching heresy in the church, probably after some of the things that he had dealt with in the first part of this chapter with the law. And we know for sure specifically as we look at 2 Timothy chapter number 2 that it was some things concerning the resurrection. He said in verse number 17 and 18 of 2 Timothy 2, And their word will eat at thus a canker of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, another man mentioned, but Hymenaeus is mentioned, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already and overthrow the faith of some said that they have erred in their doctrine and because of that, it has caused them to be shipwrecked. And because of their error and because of their shipwreck, Paul had to deal with these men. In fact, verse number 20, the verse that we read, uses a pretty vivid uh a vivid language, pretty, I mean, it's kind of uh, tough to even think about and even wrestle with. He said that he has delivered them unto Satan. Do you see that? He delivered them unto Satan. That's the same language that Paul used in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 when he was talking about those that were in unrepentant sexual immorality and they would not get right in the church. He said there's only one way to deal with them if they're in the church and they won't get right and that is to deliver them over to Satan. Turn them over to Satan. It just simply means that 
They were put out of the church. doesn't mean they were put out of the body of Christ. And if you're saved, you're always saved. But people that will not get right, you put them out of the church. And what a vivid language that is to deliver them over to Satan. It reminds us that that there is a safety, there is a protection inside the local church. And I tell you, we live in a day where the local church is downplayed and it is ignored and it is, uh, it is just, uh, it is act, it's just despised. It's no big deal. It comes down 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th on a list of things that your family has to do. And, uh, and that's the way that we live. Can I tell you, that is not the New Testament view of the local church. God has a great view of the local church. In fact, He sent His Son to die for the church. Amen. And He set this thing up. The local church, what my idea, the Baptists didn't come up with it. Uh, in fact, Apostle Paul didn't come up with it. This is in the mind of God. God is the one that put this thing, and He used Paul uh, to put this thing in motion, and He used Paul uh, to get it going and to keep it going and to get this thing steered in the right direction. And so they were put out of the church. Uh, it seems like that's an uncommon practice these days. You won't, you won't find that much. I, I read, a, I read a, uh, an article the other day that linked the lack of church discipline that you see today with the rise of transportation in the automobile. As people could drive any distance, you know, in a short amount of time and find any church they wanted to go to, church discipline has gone down. Because it used to be if you lived in a community, there might just be one church in that community and that's it. And if you don't go along, if you don't get along and you don't do right, then you're out. They ain't nowhere else. You can't just go 10 miles up to the up the road. It took a little bit longer to go 10 miles than it does uh, than it does now. And, uh, and so it just didn't happen. People, instead of staying somewhere and getting right with God, they just get mad and they leave. Anytime they're corrected, anytime they're confronted, uh, anytime they, they're, uh, they're offended and they get their toes stepped on just a little bit and something they don't like, they say, sayonara, see you later, and they hit the door. Amen. I'm going to tell you, I don't care if there's a church on every corner and you can find, any pre- you can find a preacher doing anything, anything you want to do, any life you want to live, any heresy you want to believe, you'll find a preacher that'll sign off on it. Amen. You can find whatever you want. Amen. In fact, you know what? I, you know what? I, I'd be glad if I had a preacher kind of stepped on my toes every now and then. Amen. I'd be glad if I had a preacher kind of ruffled my feathers every now and then and confronted me every now and then. You know why? Because that lets me know it's somebody that loves me and trying to help me. He ain't trying to get in my pocket and get my money. He ain't trying to win friends and influence people. He's trying to just preach the Word of God and let the chips fall where they may. But the Bible's very clear. When somebody has been confronted and they won't get right, you put them out. And that's called delivering them unto Satan. Wow. What an amazing, what an amazing picture, word picture that that is. Now, this would have followed a couple admonitions from Paul. We learned that in the book of Titus. You don't have to turn in there necessarily, but it's not far away. Just a couple verses. I'm sorry, a couple books away from where we're at to the right after 2 Timothy is Titus, another pastoral epistle. He says at the end of Titus in chapter number 3, almost some of the same things that he tells to Timothy in chapter 1. But avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. A man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition reject. 
He said, after you've admonished them one time and they won't get right, and you admonish them another time and they won't get right, he said, reject them. I think it's the same idea as delivering them over to Satan, putting them out of the church. And he says, knowing that he is that he that is such is subverted and sinneth, being condemned of himself. And Paul said, you are to get them out. And can, let me say something about church discipline so you know a couple things about it. This, this idea, it's just in the text, so that's why I'm dealing with it this morning. And that is this fact right here, that church discipline is not for those that sin. If you put people out of the church that sin, they ain't going to be nobody in the church. You understand that? Listen, if we put all the sinners out of here, it would just be me here. That would be it. Right? My wife couldn't even come. You don't, you, don't put, you don't put people out of the church for sin. You put people out of the church that won't get right when they sin and they want to live in open sin and say, this is my lifestyle, this is who I am, this is what I'm going to do, and they're confronted and they won't get it right, then you've you, you, you got to put them out. You can't let them... It was that way in 1 Corinthians 5. You read the context there. There was adultery going on. There was fornication going on. There was even an element of incest going on. Wicked sins. But here was the problem. It wasn't that there were sinners in the church and they needed to be dealt with. You see how our Lord deals with an adulterer. Read John chapter number 8. He loves her. Her. He says, go and what? Sin no more. He deals with their sin. God embraces the sinner. He loves the sinner when they will repent and when they will turn from their sin and turn to the Savior. But somebody that holds on to their sin and will not get right, and when sin is celebrated in the church instead of dealt with in the church, that's when you have trouble right there. That's exactly what was going on in Corinth when he uses this same language. He said, you ought to be mourning over the sin in the church and rather than mourning over it, you're all puffed up. You're proud of it. There's a couple in the church, they're not married and yet they're living together in open sin and instead of being sad about it and it breaking their heart and instead of it causing them to be burdened over it, they look at it and say, well, look at them. Aren't they a cute couple? Man, look at them, aren't they? Man, man, they just go together so well. Man, their relationship, what a, they were proud of it instead of. And Paul said, No, you got to get that out. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Sin must be dealt with in the church. And now, another thing about church discipline, it's not for those that sin, it's for those who sin and won't repent, won't get right. But church discipline is not punishment. We think about discipline, we think about punishment. That's not what it is. In fact, you'll see, look at our text back in, in 1 Timothy 1, verse number 20. He tells us why he delivered them over to Satan. He said, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Church discipline is not punitive. It's not for punishment. It's for education. He said that they may learn not to blaspheme. It's so they will learn and then eventually it is for a hopeful restoration. There is an education part of it and there is a redemption part. There is a hope of redemption that they will get right having been turned over to Satan and their flesh being destroyed. That's 1 Corinthians 5. That they will get right and they will repent and they will stand up in front of the church and say, I was wrong and now I want to get this thing right. I've made it right with God and now I want to make it right with the church. You'll be surprised how many people are ignorant of that, these facts in the Bible or they just don't care about them. Most people have the idea, I'm going to live the way I want to live and it's nobody's business how I live. That's not in the Bible. 
Amen. That's not in the Word of God. 1 Thessalonians 5, he said, warn them that are unruly. We have a responsibility to the rebel. We have a responsibility to the rebellious, to the, to the wayward, to the backslid, to the unruly. And that is to tell them, you are not right, you need to get right. Now there's a million things I want to say about that, but that's not the message. This is just turning into a really, really, really long introduction that's going to discourage you when I get to point one. So i got to move on, but I don't want to. The language here is, the image that's being painted here is being handed over to Satan. Let me say a couple things about this thing of being handed over to Satan. It tells me a couple things. It tells me a little bit about the authority of the local church. Jesus does give authority to the local church. He said, whatever you bind on earth, it's bound in heaven. Whatever you loose loose on earth, it's loose in heaven. There is authority local church. But beyond that, it speaks about the authority of God over Satan. The fact that God uses the devil to accomplish his purposes. Isn't that amazing? God says, here's one of my unruly church members. You take care of them. And God uses Satan to salvage what he can out of that. You say, I don't know, man, I don't know about all that preacher. I don't know where you're getting that. Well, I can give you examples all through the Word of God. There's actually positive examples of where God used Satan to purify his people. How about Job? Anybody ever read the book of Job? I tell you, when when Satan got done with Job, guess what? He polished up. He was polished up and he shined like gold. How about that? How about even the Lord Jesus Christ himself? Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days, tempted of Satan. How about that? God used Satan. How about Peter? Jesus looked at Peter and said, Satan hath desired to have thee that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen the brethren. He said, Satan's going to do a number in your life, but it will be a conversion in your life. It will be a change in your life, and it will strengthen you, and you'll be able to strengthen others as a result of that. I'm telling you what, the devil's playing checkers, but God's playing chess. Amen. The devil thinks he's got this thing figured out, but God's got them right where he wants them. If I heard somebody say this the other day that, that, uh, that, that God's playing chess and the devil, he ain't even playing checkers. He's playing connect four. Amen. He, ain't even, he don't even know what's going on. I'm just thankful for the sovereignty of God. Paul was like that. Paul had a thorn in the flesh. And you don't know what that thorn in the flesh was specifically, and nor do I. The only thing we know about it was this, is that it was a messenger of who? Satan. Sent to buffet him. And you know what Paul did with that? It humbled him and it gave him grace. And God kept him usable by using Satan in his life. Isn't that amazing how God does that? There's negative examples. We think of like King Saul in the Old Testament had an evil spirit. uh, An evil spirit that was troubling him all the time. It was a a horrible thing in his life. Satan entered into Judas... And then even these Hymenaeus and Alexander, they were delivered over to Satan. This text is a warning text. It is a a warning to all of us that nobody is above shipwreck. You're not above it. I'm not above it. It can happen to people that were probably, if these were leaders in the church, and Paul probably has not been gone for about five years from that warning he gave. These are people that knew Paul personally and maybe possibly had been trained by the Apostle Paul himself. How about that? And here they are in doctrinal error and had made a shipwreck of their life. 
Every one of us in here, we can think about people that that used to be in church. They used to be right. They used to love God. They used to serve God. But now they're spiritually shipwrecked. Their lives are on the rocks. And I'm going to tell you something. It's by His grace that any of us are still sailing today. Before you put your thumbs in your suspenders and say, well, look what I've done, you better hold on just a second. It's by the good grace of God that any of our vessels are still sailing, but it is also the good grace of God that gives us warnings and gives us admonitions that you are personally responsible for that if you will put into place in your life, they will keep your faith afloat. And that's exactly what Paul's doing for Timothy here. He's trying to keep them afloat. Man, I don't know about you, but man, that's my, that's my goal in life. I want to keep sailing with Jesus. I want to keep sailing for Jesus. I, I, don't, want, I don't want my ministry. I, know, I can tell you preacher after preacher that their, their ministry is on the rocks. Their life is on the rocks spiritually. There's nothing. Their, their faith has been shipwrecked right now. And I'm not saying they're saved or lost. I don't know. That's between them and God. All I'm saying is, is that their vessel is not sailing on for the glory of God right now. They've made shipwreck of their life. That ought to scare us more than it does. And I think that's the point he's trying to get across to Timothy. Timothy, you're my man. You're my son. You're my my boy. You know, I mean, I trained you. You're like a son to me. I put you there. But Timothy, you ain't above wrecking your life. And you're not above wrecking your ministry. You better listen to what I have to say. You better learn from other people. Amen. That's good. You don't always have to touch the stove to know it's hot. Amen. Just watch some other dummy put his hand on it and how he screams. You can learn from that. Amen. You can learn from the mistakes of others, and that's exactly what Paul is doing here. There's a couple exhortations in this text. All right, don't be discouraged, but we're we're finally on point one, okay? It's only 17 points, and we'll be done. It's like a fat man going through a barbed wire fence. Just a few more points and we'll be through. Amen. Number one. Number one. Keep a biblical ministry. That's the first thing that Paul told Timothy. You say, well, I'm not in the ministry. Uh, Hold on a second. If you're saved, you're in the ministry. If you're a part of this church, you're in the ministry. And we don't have the same role in the ministry. We don't have the same part in the ministry. But we all are in the ministry. Our lives keep it biblical. And here's what Paul does. I want you to look at verse number 18 because it's going to take just a little bit of explaining. I want to explain this to you. Verse 18. He said, This charge I commit unto thee. Now what charge? What is that command? What is the mandate? What is the charge that Paul is giving to Timothy reaffirming to him? It's the one that he gave back in verses 3 and 4 when he says, Make sure nobody preaches any other doctrine. There's only one gospel. There's only one doctrine. And you've got to make sure it stays plain and stays clear and stays right. So make sure that's the command he's talking about. He's going back and speaking about that again. He's reaffirming it. He's saying, this charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy. Now look at this part right here. Notice the basis of this charge. He said, it is according to the prophecies which went before on thee. Now that is a very interesting phrase right there. There were some prophecies that were on Timothy's life. Now notice the text does not say according to the prophecies which went on before thee. That means that would happen before Timothy come on the scene. No, he said before 
on thee. These prophecies are on you. There were certain prophecies made about Timothy's life. Now let me explain this real quick. How many of y'all still with me say amen? Y'all listen better than I'm preaching. I'm telling you, y'all are doing great. What are we talking about when we talk about this, these prophecies here? Well, a lot of times we just think about prophecy, we think about somebody telling the future, predicting the future, what's going to happen in the future. And there's an element of that, no doubt about it. But in its simplest definition, prophecy is simply declaring the Word of God, whatever God has said. You declare it, that's prophesying. Now, a lot of times what God has said is something that's going to happen in the future, and so that's kind of how we get the, the thought of that. But in its simplest definition... At the very bottom, prophecy is just the Word of God. It is saying what God had said. And before our Bible was completed, because how many of you know Timothy didn't have a King James Bible? He didn't have a Genesis to Revelation Bible like you and I have. He didn't have that. In fact, he was being written, this right here. And so he didn't have the completion of Scripture. And before the canon was completed, there was a gift, an active gift in the local church called prophecy. And that's how God communicated with His people. Of course, through the Old Testament, the Old Testament Scripture. But He would also move on certain people in the church that had the gift. And they would speak things that were the Word of God. And I ain't even getting into all that. I ain't got time to get into all that. We'll talk about that another day. But apparently, God had given Timothy a word about his ministry and what he was to accomplish and fulfill in his ministry before Timothy took this pastorate. I would call it at his ordination service, there were some prophecies, probably from the Apostle Paul, and I'll show you here in a minute, that were made on him, that were said about him, things that he needed to do and that, was, that he was going to do in his ministry. Look at chapter number 4 and look at verse number 14. Here's what Paul said to Timothy. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. That is ordinate, what we would call an ordination talk. When the hands are laid on a man for a job to fulfill, to be ordained. Paul is saying when we laid our hands on you, God imparted to you this, this gift to pastor and this gift that you have. And it was by prophecy, by the Word of God. Go over to 2 Timothy and look at chapter number 1. Verse number 6. Paul says, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. And so again, he's talking about that ordination in his life. At his ordination, there was an imparting of some kind of spiritual gift to pastor and there was a word, a word of prophecy that was given over his life about his ministry and what he was to accomplish and what he was to fulfill. Now what does all this mean? Here's what it means. Paul was telling telling Timothy to keep his life and to keep his ministry operating according to the word that God had spoken on him. According to the word of God. He was not to deviate from the word of God. Now that gift of prophecy, it's no longer active today because we have every word that God wants us to know in our Bible right here. How can we apply this thought to us this morning? That's just simply this. We are to live our lives and conduct our lives according to this book right here. Paul's telling Timothy, Timothy, you live your life and conduct your ministry just like God told you to do. Here's what God has told us to do. And I'm going to tell you how to keep your life off the rocks. I'm going to tell you how to keep your life from getting shipwrecked. And it's real simple. Just live your life according to that Bible right there. 
Let this Bible be your guide. Let this Word of God be your compass. Let it show you which way to go. Anytime you've ever had any kind of tragedy in your life, as far as, uh, I'm not talking about trouble in your life, but I'm talking about spiritually speaking. I'm talking about when you've gotten away from God, when you've had a, a spiritual failure in your life, it is because you deviated from the Word of God. About every regret I have in my life comes to uh, uh, comes from the times in my life where I chose to do what I wanted to do over what the Bible said to do. Amen. Live your life according to this book right here. That's the only. That's what Paul's telling Timothy. That's nothing spooky or nothing spectacular right here. It's just simply scriptural. Be scriptural. Live your life according to the Word of God. Man, I'm thankful. Man, my, my, my life would have been wrecked a long time ago if it wasn't for this Bible. I wouldn't know which way to go if it wasn't for this Bible. I wouldn't know which way to sail if it wasn't for this Bible. I wouldn't know what the captain wanted if it wasn't for this Bible. Man, I'm thankful for the Word of God. You can make up these things as you go in your life if you want to, but I'm glad I got a standard. I'm glad I got a map. I'm glad I got a road map. I'm glad I got I'm glad I got a compass for my soul. Amen. Thank God. Thank God for this Bible. Hallelujah. Amen. Use it to chart your life out with. I can't help but think about old Brother Berman Kate, Miss Evelyn Kate. He used to sing that song, I love the old Bible. This old King James Bible. A light on my pathway to shine. It keeps me so happy. Always so happy. God's wonderful book divine. And there's one verse and it says something like this. What chart can you trust as a guide for your soul when tempests would strand you on some dreadful shore? What compass will point you to heaven's bright door? God's wonderful book divine. Can I tell you, if you got the Word of God, you have a chart that you can trust for your soul. It will guide you where you need to go. It'll keep your life off the rocks and keep you sailing exactly where you need to be. Paul told Timothy, remember the Word of God. Remember what God told you to do. Do that. I'm telling you, God's compass will never lead you astray. You can follow it for your life. You can follow it for your marriage. You can follow it for your children, for your career, for your finances, for whatever it has. I just believe this book has the answer to everything. Amen. And it's one thing to, it's one thing to wave it up in the air and say, Amen, I believe it. That's another thing to actually chart your life and chart a course by this Bible. People are going to laugh at you. They're going to think you're crazy. They're going to think, man, you're just an old fuddy-duddy. Man, why don't you get in the times? Don't you know culture has changed? Yes, I know culture has changed. That's why I don't want to have anything to do with it. Amen. I want something that never changes. Amen. I want something that will still be standing when this world's on fire. Amen. I want something that was settled in heaven before the foundations of the earth was ever were ever created. I mean, this world's shifty. What's right today was wrong. What's wrong back then is right now. Listen, it does, this world will change in a heartbeat. I can't even keep up with all the things that are offensive. Can you? You know, there's words you're not supposed to use now that it was okay like a year ago. I'm telling you something, this world's crazy. You can live your life by it if you want to. That's fine. I'm going to tell you something, I'm going to live by this book right here. It's guided many, many sailors all the way into heaven's shore. Amen. I think I'll just keep on following this book. A biblical ministry. Number two, 
not only keep a biblical ministry, but secondly, Paul tells Timothy to keep a battlefield mentality. To keep a battlefield mentality. Look what he says at the end of verse number 18. He said, that thou by them, by the Word of God, by those prophecies, by them mightest war a good warfare. You know what he's reminding Timothy of? Timothy, this is a battle. Timothy, you ain't on a cruise ship. No offense. You ain't on a cruise ship. This is a battleship. Amen. This is a battleship. We are in a warfare. You're in a fight. And the reason that some people's life is on the rocks is because they never realize that the Christian life is a battle. You have an adversary. I mean, there are dangerous waters to avoid. There are pirates that will try to invade your ship and take and plunder everything from your life and everything that you have. This ain't a cruise ship. It's a battleship. This ain't a luxury liner. Listen, this ain't the love boat. Amen. Listen, we, we, we're on a battleship, man. We got somebody's trying to kill us. You know, the devil's trying to blow your ship out of the water. He's trying to ruin your life and ruin your home and ruin your kids. He's trying to destroy our church. You know that, right? Be sober. Sober up. Be vigilant. Stay on guard. Our adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. We have an adversary. And the Christian life is a war. Man, your flesh is trying to sink you. You know that, right? We got, we got saboteurs from the inside. We got mutineers from the inside. Anybody ever seen a red mutiny on the bounty? Man, all, it comes from the inside. Mutineers. That's your flesh. Man, your flesh ain't for you. I promise you that. Make no provision for your flesh. It's trying to, it's trying to wreck your vessel, trying to wreck your boat. Amen. Man, we got the world after us. And that's when a ship starts to sink, ain't it? As long as that ship's in the water, it's fine. But it's when that water starts getting in the ship. That's the problem. Ship in the water, good. Water in the ship, bad. That's exactly the way it is with this world, ain't it? We're in this world, that's all, they ain't nowhere else to be. It's just this world. You understand? This earth, that's the only place to live. <laughs> we can't go nowhere else. We can't go nowhere else. Now, I think they found some other galaxy this past week, didn't they? Have you all seen that? They found another galaxy. There's already a Dollar General out there. They already, they'd already, they've already put one out there. I just read the headline on the, on the TV there. I, didn't, I, I haven't really done a lot of digging on it or whatever, but they said they've already, in this other galaxy or whatever, some kind of, some kind of microphone or something they had, they were picking up, it's, already, it's picking up a heartbeat out there in a whole other galaxy. Man, they're, all, man, they're all clamoring over that. I thought, man, what about them heartbeats and them wounds? How about that? Oh, that's nothing. But man, a heartbeat out, out, out in another galaxy somewhere, in a galaxy far, far away. Man, that's, that's, a, that's amazing, man. That's just, that's just something right there. Man, our, this world's crazy. Ain't it? You can't live in another world. This is the only one we got to live in. God put us here for such a time as this. I'm going to tell you what, I got to live in this world, but I ain't going to let this world live in me. You got to live in this world, but you let, you let the water start coming in the boat, and you will sink. And you will sink. Old Puritan preacher Thomas Brooks, he preached in the 1600s. Here's what he said. He said, a man can have enough of the world to sink him, but he'll never have enough of the world to satisfy him. And that's the truth. That's the truth. It'll do nothing but sink your life. Now, of course, we have the devil. He's trying to, 
trying to ruin us. I'm going to tell you what, the greatest battle you'll ever face is just making sure you keep a warfare mentality. Some of they just live, I mean, they just, they're, just, they're just floating along, thinking everything's cool. And boom, before you know it, they're wrecked. They're on the rocks of sin. Man, if you'll be on guard and you'll watch out, you'll be able to stay afloat. Number three, and I'm done. Not only we need to keep a biblical ministry and keep a battlefield mentality, but I want you to notice something else. He talks about keeping a balanced maturity, a maturity that's balanced. And this is, I want to show you this, and I'm done. Verse number 19, he said, holding faith and a good conscience. I want you to think about those things with me just for a second. Paul's admonition is for him to hold on to some things. Now, the contrast here is Hymenaeus and and Alexander, right? And what did they do? They put away these things. That's what he said. They put them away. That word, if you look it up, it just simply means to cast out, to reject, to utterly just just to throw it out. They they took faith and a good conscience and they just threw it away. Paul told Timothy, he said, son, hold on to these things. Hold on to them. Get a firm grasp on these things. Hold the faith. Now, the faith that he's talking about here, it's not just talking about a trust in God, but it's talking about faith as, 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 a, as a body of truth. It's the faith that was once delivered to the saints. It's the body of truth we call sound biblical doctrine. Hold on to that, Timothy. Hold on to that. But that's not the only thing to hold on to. See, I, I wish, listen to me real close. I'm almost done. I'm almost done. I, I appreciate your patience. I wish just having the right theology kept would keep your boat off the rocks. I wish it would keep you from, from ruin and wrecking your life. I, wish, I really wish it would. But if that was the truth, then we wouldn't know any preachers that had ruined and wrecked their life, that had right theology, right doctrine, preached the truth. They weren't preaching heresy, but they're still shipwrecked. There wouldn't be any Bible college teachers that ever went shipwrecked, right? There's more to just than holding on to right doctrine. He said you got to hold on to a good conscience as well. He said there's got to be a balance in your maturity, Timothy. you got to have not... See, what, somewhere along the lines, these guys, they got off balance. They got off balance. And the insinuation is, the implication, I think it's all through this, all through here is that, I think I've already mentioned this in previous messages, but I don't think they were necessarily living exactly the way they needed to. Because he talks about a, a good conscience. There's an emphasis on this good conscience. Here. If you look back in verse number 5, he said, Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience. And then in our text, he talks about a good conscience. Chapter 3, verse number 9, he said, In like manner also that women... I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse number 9. Said, that ain't the right. We ain't getting to that yet. Uh, holding the mystery of faith in a pure conscience. In a pure conscience. And then chapter 4, verse number 2, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. There's an emphasis placed on a good conscience. What what is a conscience? Your conscience is that God-given natural compass that helps you distinguish between right and wrong. It's like lost people have a conscience. Everybody has a conscience. Okay? Uh, now, there's a, there's a whole message I could preach on the conscience. I'm not going to do that this morning. But I do, want you, I do want to mention a couple things about your conscience, and that is it cannot be fully trusted. Listen, oh, Jiminy Cricket, he was wrong, okay? 
He said, always let your conscience be your guide. Listen, I'm sorry, you need to just kind of step on that bug real quick, all right? Because you'll get yourself in a lot of trouble. There's some people, their conscience doesn't tell them what they're doing is wrong because there's ignorance in their life. They think they're okay. They're sincere, but they're sincerely wrong. So your conscience can be tricked. Your conscience can be trashed. That's what he talks about, those that are seared with a hot iron. People that do wrong, and, and they do wrong over and over and over, and they run every red light their conscience puts up until they don't ever even see any more red lights, and now their conscience is seared, and now they do the things that they do, and they don't even feel bad about it. If we don't see that going on in our society, good gracious. We're living, in a, we're living amongst people. We have leaders in our nation. Leaders, not just people, but lead, people that are leading our nation. Their consciences are seared with a hot iron. Anybody, and I don't mean to get on this thing, but I'm going to get on it while I'm here. Anybody that can ju- just murder babies and, and, and fight and push that, and want to, listen, their conscience has been seared with a hot iron. Seared. Absolutely seared. I don't apologize for getting on that hobby horse. Your conscience can be trashed. It can be tricked. Your conscience must be trained by the Word of God. It must be tested by the Word of God. You always doubt yourself, trust this book. Amen. But a good conscience is a result of living a pure life. That's what Paul said when he stood before those Jerusalem leaders. He said, man and brother, I've lived in good conscience, a pure conscience. From this day, from from the last day until now, he said, I've done everything. Everything I've done, I've done it in good conscience. And that's what you get when you live right. And so here's what Paul's saying to Timothy. And I'm going to say, in fact, Miss Maddie, you can come around the piano. Here's what Paul's saying to Timothy. It's not enough just to have right doctrine. There's got to be right living as well. You got to live right. There's been so many that have wrecked their lives and their doctrine was just right. And their doctrine usually doesn't stay right. Usually one goes, the other goes. They affect one another. Paul, Paul encouraged Timothy to have that balance. Look over, look over in chapter 4. Look at verse number 16. He tells him again, that we see the balance again. He said, take heed unto what? Thyself and unto the doctrine. He said, Timothy, it's not enough just to pay attention to your letters and your books and your doctrine and your studies. You've got to pay attention to yourself. Take heed to yourself. Are you living where you need to live? Are you right where you need to be? And it was a seared conscience that hardened the hearts of these ones. You remember what I told you about Hymenaeus and Alexander? To be delivered over to Satan before Paul would ever do that, what, what does he have to do? He has to, he has to rebuke them, right? He has to correct them. Not once, but twice at least. And he does that. And they would not get right. That's a conscience that's been seared with a hot iron. You preach at somebody, and by the way, man, I, well, we can't help everything every pastor does, but you, we preach to people like that every week. They're confronted with truth. They're confronted with the Word of God. And they sit there and laugh at it and make a mock of it and a mockery of it, and it, don't even mean, it, just, it just doesn't even mean anything to it. Just talk about sin, and it's just funny talking about the holiness of God, the righteousness of God, and it's a joke. What happened? The conscience. The conscience is bad. The things that should bother them don't any longer. They would not receive the correction. 
It's not just that they're wrong. It's they're wrong and don't want to get right. That's the problem. And some have violated their conscience for so long that they won't even listen to correction. And if they've not already shipwrecked their life, that's exactly where they're headed to. You know, I, I didn't do some big study of the Titanic or anything like that, but I remember somebody mentioning this, and I looked it up to find out if it was true, and it, and it was that the, before the Titanic sank, April 14, 1912, really, I guess, it started. That's when they hit the iceberg overnight, trying to evacuate the ship. April 15th is when it's fully submerged. 15, there's only, what, 2,200 people on the whole boat? 1,500 people died. Most people died. But before, all, before any of that happened, there's a book that was written about uh, Captain Edward Smith that talks about this, the captain of the Titanic, Edward Smith. There's a book written about him that said before any of that happened, there was warnings that come in about the ice and about the waters that they were traveling in. And here's what this Mr. Cooper that wrote this biography of the captain, Edward Smith, here's what he said as they could gather some of this information, they found out that he wasn't ignoring the warnings. It's not that he was ignoring it. It's not that he said, well, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to listen to that. It's just that he would not react to the warnings. That's what he said. And he says, Captain Smith was not ignoring the ice warnings. He was simply not reacting to them. That means he heard them. He knew them. But he never did anything about it. He heard what was going to happen. He heard about the danger, but he never altered his course. He never changed direction. And he perished along with 1,500 other souls. How about that? Never made a correction. Can I tell you something? We get to passages like this, it's sober. You know why? Because it's a warning. It's a warning text. Listen. I remember my grandfather used to say this all the time. He said, he said, the shame's not getting dirty. The shame's in staying that way. Everybody falls. Everybody gets off course. There ain't nobody in here that sailed a perfect, perfect line their whole life. Everybody gets off course. But what do you do when you're given a warning? What do you do when the message comes through that, hey, there's potential danger up ahead? If you don't make the alteration, if you don't make the correction, listen, it's on you, my friend. That is on you. These men were warned. These men were given opportunities to repent and get right, but they would not do it. My prayer this morning is, God, please, please keep me on course. I want to stay on course for Him. Let's stand together all.